It's Friday the 13th of August, and lucky you, you've got Oz in your ears. This is Yeri Jero, and welcome to Empire Jeopardy, the web's most popular game show. I'm your host and witness as the Empire winds itself up and just keeps unwinding. All three contestants are back from last week. He's an urban vertical farmer from battered Washington and winner of this year's Golden Trellis Award. Meet Jack Browndart. What's the Golden Trellis, Jack? Uh, it's the Oscar of vertical permaculture, Yeri. I won it for growing 380 pounds of Brussels sprouts up the elevator shaft of an abandoned factory. I brought some for you. Thanks a bushel, Jack. He was the commander of former intelligence at CINCOM Dreadsend AFPAC in Hintzville, Arkansas. But he's been picked to head the unmanned manpower center at the Drone Alone Air Force Base on Grower Island, Washington. Meet Colonel Butter Braunschweig. Uh, that's quite a promotion they gave you, Colonel. You know, once I heard about my 3D PowerPoint, and happy. <laughs> she was a loan denier for Windjammer Gorgle in Jockey Shorts, Illinois, until they kicked her upstairs to run the whole loan denial division in their Tipping Point Washington headquarters. Meet Swindle. Lou Zimmer. Happy about the transfer, Swindaloo? Working for Windjammer Gorgol is the best life sentence in the business, Mr. Yarrow. Well, the rules are as simple as our returning contestants. Win two and we talk, lose two and you walk. Tie it up and we come back for more. Okay, here we go. Four out of every five. What is the percentage of packaged foods that contain empty calories? What is the percentage of civilians collateralized by a predator-launched Hellfire missile? What is the percentage of the unemployed turned away from every job opening? Right you are, Swindaloo. A lot of them sleep outside my office. Well, let's go again. They're invisible, hard to catch, and worth $100 billion. What's left of the salmon in Alaska? Who are all the wealthy deadbeats who walked on their mortgages? Who are the 100 Al-Qaeda bums still operating in Afghanistan? Bingo, Butta! <laughs> you can't fight them, you can't drone them. So here we are, Swindaloo and Butta, we could talk. Okay. Jack, you're one wrong answer away from walking. Hey, don't sell my Birkenstock short, Gary. Here it is, last one. A clueless barfly with delusions of grandeur. Who is John Bomer? Right on, Swindaloo. It's John Bomer, the Sultan of Suntan. I speed dated him once. Five minutes was enough. And here's what you've won, Swindy. A million dollars worth of golden sacks of crap toxic derivatives. They're perfect for wallpapering your nest egg. A complete set of the president's heads in chocolate from the Franklin After Dinner Mint. Mm, just in time for my book group. And... An all-expenses-paid weekend on Louisiana's Gas War Island Resort. Slip into your Hawaiian hazmat halter top, order up a couple of 30-weight mojitos on us, and chill out. Talk about a private beach, Swindy. You're the only living thing within 10 miles. I guess I could take off my top. Uh, not yet. This is Yeri Jero, host of Empire Jeopardy, reminding you that everybody else is just a failed attempt at being us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Radio Free Oz up here on RadioFreeOz.com. You do have Oz in your ears here in the midst of August. Uh, I'm your co-host and host. I guess we just switch it upon, you know, who is who? I'm Peter Bergman. Co-host here is David Oz. I am. You are. We are together. Well, David, David, we get the I Told You So Prescient Award. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got I told you so. Yeah, the I told you so. This is it. All right. Okay. So here's an article from the Daily Beast. Just picked it up. It said, who's in charge of the post-spill scrubbing here? The August issue 
of Vogue Italia. By the way, I love Vogue Italia. Vogue Italia. Italia. It is it is the ad. It's right? Yves Sansstool's favorite magazine. Features a 24-page water and oil editorial. <laughs> Shots by photographer Steve Mizell of 24-year-old Kristen Mc- McManamy covered in oil, coughing up seawater, and wearing dirty black feathers on a beach. <laughs> Refinery 29 says the photos are beautiful, but concludes treating beauty and glamour out of tragedy seems quite fucked up to us. Not to mention wasteful and hypocritical, seeing as thousands of dollars of luxury clothing were flown in and then subsequently ruined for the shoot. All I got to say is Dave and I were way ahead of the game. Maestro, roll Pelican Briefs. This is uh, David Osman. I'm on the road for Radio Free Oz here in Gay Paris. And I'm beside the runway here at the celebrated Salon of the notoriously controversial haute couture designer Yves Sansstuhl. <laughs> Bonjour, Yves. Welcome to my Salon, David. Uh, we have just a moment before the showing starts for my latest collection, Toxique. Toxique, huh? Well, Eve, you're probably best known for your squid <laughs> agony boots. You you introduced them at your first salon back then in uh, 1980, right? Well, I have them here in the case, the, the prototype of the agony boot. Oh, that's the look of the 80s, the cowboy styling. It's the fashion of President Reagan. He may have been brain dead, but the man knew how to wear that cowboy look. Uh-huh, and this exotic leather. Polar what bear hides, the stripes of the Komodo dragon. Uh-huh, and this a very high heel, uh, lucite with the flashing lights. Well, the beautiful lights were made by the agony of the squid uh-huh. who emits the electric pain every time the wearer steps on the heel compressing this little petite mollusk. Oh, wow. And, but you had to take him off the market. Peter brought me down. Uh, I told them that the squid has a happy life safe in the heel of the Reagan boot but they put a picket line in front of my door. What, what could I do? Well, I, I see the showing's about to begin here. Uh, the audience is very excited. You can tell me uh, what are we going to see today in your show? Toxic uh-huh. presents disaster fashions. Uh-huh. As you know, I normally design for the humans, but with the crisis in the Gulf, I, I have turned my attention to closing for the aquatic victims of this man-made tragedy. Mm. Oh, so dommage. <laughs> it is for Issan's stool to make it right for the pauvre animal, n'est-ce pas? Oh, well, oh, and here, here comes your first model. The exotic beauty Giselle showing my fabulous oil-repellent pelican briefs made from the freshly recycled wild bird feathers, a form-fitting, as you see, for the natural look of nature in the raw. Oh, that's timely, timely, Eve. And, and here comes your model, Raffaella. Ooh. She is wearing my dolphin slicker. Everyone knows the dolphin doesn't look so good coated in oil, so I've designed the tight-fitting sailor costume of oil-free oil cloth with a self-sealing flap for the blowhole. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> that's very, very thoughtful. Okay, now this next model, Lauren she Hutton, looks, yeah? showing the turtle shell by shell. Turtles and models can all live forever with this tropical carapace of million-year-old ivory hand-carved by Froggy Island Boys. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, this must be the finale. It's uh, the, the bridal costume. Is that... For the first time, I show the bride in bed. Oh. The pollution-free happy oyster bed. I begin with a mattress of clean sand covered with the 700-count hazmat on the bottom, uh-huh. then spill repellent cover-up linens. Uh-huh. The fluffy pillows and duvet boom are 
stuff with clippings from famous Hollywood poodles and gaga wigs. Oh. And finally, the cream wore sham, sham for complete protection in the season of the hurricane. Well, well, uh, that sounds like a, a thorough protection. But the bride herself, uh, can you describe her outfit? Of course, uh-huh. money is dressed as a prototype of the jumper jail suit. In Florida, orange with stripes of bio blue. Oh, it looks pretty rugged. It has to be. I'm making it for the president of BP, Tony Hayward. <laughs> he will have to wear it a long, long time. Well, everybody seems very enthusiastic about that. Congratulations on your non-toxic showing. Yves Saint Stool for Radio Free Oz. This is David Osman in Paris. Au revoir! A lot of incumbents lost their way in this last primary uh, because of the Tea Party movement and all of the, the rise of the crazies. Most of them being Republicans, by the way, nice, serious, conservative Republicans, and some of them becoming, I think, heroes like Bob Ingalls of South Carolina, who lost his primary 71 to 29, an incumbent being beaten 71% to 29. Wow, what did he do wrong? Well, he was on CNA, and he said he talked uh, he talked about the crazy right-wing conspiracy theories that drove him out of office, and his inability and refusal to go along with them. So CNN, CNN host Rich Sanchez went over a recent piece on Inglis and Mother Jones in which Inglis talked about the crazies that he would come across on the campaign trail. Sanchez read from Inglis's recollection of a conversation with some voters. Bob, what don't you get? Barack Obama is a socialist, communist, Marxist who wants to destroy the American economy so he can take over as, as, as dictator. Healthcare is part of that, and he wants to open up the Mexican border and turn the U.S. into a Muslim nation. Sanchez asked Inglis who these people were, and in response, Inglis conceded he might have done better politically had he humored them. That was several 80-year-old couples that were expressing their views, and you know, what I should have said was, over my dead body, that's going to (laughs) happen. I can guarantee it's not going to happen, he said, but that would have been the better answer, wouldn't it, rather than the one I gave, which is, well, it's not quite that bad. Let's keep it within the realm of facts. He lost those votes. Uh Okay, then here's the other one. He says... um, uh, the one who said, Bob, I sat down and they said on the back of your social security card, there's a number. That number indicates the bank that bought you when you were born based on a projection of your life's earnings. I'm going to try and not laugh here, says Bob, and you are collateral. We are all collateral for the banks. I have this uh, look like, what the heck are you talking about? I'm trying to hide that look and look clueless. I figured clueless was better than argumentative. So they said, you don't know this? You're a member of Congress and you don't know that? Inglis responded, well, you know, I think that my colleague put it well to me last week. She said that her father used to tell her leaders can either lead or mislead. And, you know, if you're going to lead, you know, you, you need to lead with facts and you need to help people know what is real when you face them. Facts are ir- irrelevant these days. Facts have nothing to do. It's, it's, it's what is claimed on Fox News, okay? And it's what people believe about, for one thing, about the Constitution. Well, but my favorite, think, David, I've heard a lot of these crazy theories, but yeah. I like the fact that my Social Security number is my collateral number at some bank, that, some owns, bank that, o- that owns you. me, paid yeah. for me based on my projected earnings. Middle class, Jewish boy, Shaker Heights, fairly well thought out parents. No, He's this, worth more than, you know, some bum born in the, in this the burbs. Is, there's a guy from South Carolina, right? South Carolina. South Carolina is the home of the Confederacy. They have not changed in 150 years. You made a break, you well, know. But this guy, Ingalls, is a good man. Well, I'm I'm glad they've got somebody down there who's a good man because (laughs) otherwise you just have to carve that state out and kind of float it out to sea. Along with Arizona. We'll talk about that later.
This looks like a microcosm of America to me. Yeah, life's a carnival, Dave. And in Rosetta, uh, Pennsylvania, a carnival company closed down a shooter game called Alien Attack after complaints and news stories that President Obama was one of the targets. Oh, oh, alien, that kind of alien attack. It wasn't just the little green guys, huh? No, The, no. the black alien leader is holding a <laughs> scroll titled Health Bill and wearing a presidential seal belt buckle. He also has antennae and a troll doll with a Kiss t-shirt on his shoulder. <laughs> I like that. The That's world good. gets better, Dave. Yeah, yeah. The owner of the carnival company, Good Time Amusements, dismissed a complaint saying the figure is not meant to be Obama. Uh-huh. Health bill, president, you know, okay. Well, the gnome is a bit tricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, a carnival goer, said she was offended by it. I said, if you are, you might want to be. But you're interpreting it as as being uh, what it what it is as Obama, but it's not. After drawing more attention from the press, however, Good shut down the game and apologized. I don't think it was offensive, and you know I made the wrong judgment on it. He said, and that's all I can say about it. We did away with it, and I'm apologizing to everybody in the world. I think. <laughs> oh, gee, this well, this is a kind of a typical right wing thing. Huh? You put the stuff out there and you make fun of the president or whoever you're making fun of. And then you say, oh, gee, I'm really terribly sorry. It wasn't a bar. I didn't intend to offend anybody. Well, well they know. Yeah, I'm sorry if it I'm offended sorry. you is one of my favorite. Right. The yeah. Holocaust. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry, sorry if, if it, it offended you. you. Yeah. Well, to me, the, the best things that have happened, the best statements that have happened recently. Yeah. Uh, are, are from the judge's decision on gay marriage, okay? Yeah. And I think this is just, it just works into every story that we come up with. Oh. Yeah, when, when, when he says, and here, here's the two things that I, that I really like. Moral disapproval alone is an improper basis on which to deny rights. That's right. Now, that is a worldwide sentiment. Let's carry that democratic American principle around the world. Put that on my T-shirt, There right? you go. There, and, and, uh, and the other one was uh, um, uh, fundamental rights may not be submitted to a vote. That's true. Fundamental rights may not be submitted. Let's export that ideal of American democracy. I suppose one of the functions of Radio Free Oz is to do for the Afghan occupation slash war what television did for the Vietnam War. Remember, it was the Vietnam War on television that finally turned people around. Well, you can't see the Afghan occupation on television because they figured out that if people can see what's going on, <laughs> they might take umbrage. So I'm using Oz. And I encourage everybody else who has any means whatsoever uh, to communicate, whether it's Twitter or text or Facebook or whatever, or actually just talking to your friends and neighbors. Let them know what's going on. Uh, we got we to gotta, we gotta pull out of there. We got to turn this thing around. In a summer of suffering, according to Talking Points Memo, America's military death toll in Afghanistan is rising with back-to-back -back record months for U.S. losses in this grinding conflict. All signs point to more bloodshed in the months ahead, straining the already shaky international support for the war. Oh, it's shaky. We'll get into that. Six more Americans were reported killed in fighting in the South, pushing the U.S. death toll for July to a record 66 and surpassing June as the deadliest month for U.S. forces in the nearly nine-year war. Five of the latest reported deaths were a result of hidden bombs, the insurgents' weapons of choice, and the sixth to an armed attack, NATO said uh, recently in a report. 
U.S. commanders say American casualties are mounting because more troops are fighting. Yeah, this is because Obama didn't listen to Carl Eikenberry, who said, don't send him in. It's just more death and more dependence of the Karzai government upon us. It's a bad, bad idea. So there's more people there, more people fighting, more people dying. And also because the Taliban are stiffening resistance as NATO and Afghan forces challenge the insurgents in areas they can't afford to give up without a fight. Recent months in Afghanistan have seen tough fighting and tough casualties. This was expected, the top U.S. and NATO Commander General David Petraeus said at his Senate confirmation hearing last month. He's not being shot at when he's sitting there talking to the senators. Oh, this is to be expected? Will Petraeus betray us? Hard to tell. My sense, he says, is that the tough fighting will continue. Indeed, it may get more intense in the next few months. What a brain. What, 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 a, what a military genius. It's bad and it's going to get worse. That forecast is proving grimly accurate. The month has brought a sharp increase in the tragic images of war. Medics frantically seeking to stop the bleeding of a soldier who lost his leg in a bombing. Fearful comrades huddled around a wounded soldier fighting for his life. The solemn scenes at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware where shattered relatives come to receive the bodies of their loved ones. At least they can go to Delaware now. Under George W. Bush, you couldn't see the battered bodies, right? Don't see the bodies. Hey, it's like you don't see the oil. The spill's over. After a dip in American deaths last spring following the February capture of the southern town of Marja, some U.S. military officers speculated that the spring drop in fatalities was due in part to the fact that many Taliban fighters, what, had given up, right, had decided they just can't do it? No, they were busy harvesting the annual opium poppy crop, a major source of funding for the insurgents. This is the crop we were supposed to be eradicating amongst other positive nation-building efforts there in Afghanistan. Instead, it is paying for the very people that are killing us. As the harvest ended and the pace of battle accelerated, more American troops were streaming into the country as part of President Barack Obama's decision last December to dispatch 30,000 reinforcements in a bid to turn back a resurgent Taliban. American troop strength stands at about 95,000, and by the end of August, the figure is expected to swell to 100,000 troops, three times the number in early 2009. I hate to say it, uh, you know, it's Obama's war. The rise in casualties is likely to erode support for the war in Washington and the capabilities of the 45 other countries that provide troops, especially if NATO commanders are unable to show progress in curbing the Taliban. Now get this. The Dutch are due to remove the last of their 1,600-member force at the end of this month, and Canada plans to remove its 2,700 troops next year. The a coalition of the willing is spilling. And also there are signs that Afghan patients with the presence of thousands of foreign troops is running thin. In Kabul, police fired weapons into the air recently to disperse a crowd of angry Afghans who shouted, Death to America! Hurled stones and set fire to two vehicles after an SUV driven by U.S. contract employees, they're a rum lot, was involved in a traffic accident that killed four Afghans. The contractor, DynCorp, D-Y-N-C-O-R-P International, confirmed that its employees working on a program sponsored by the U.S. Department of State were involved in an accident on the main road to the Kabul airport. In a statement, DynCorp said that when its employees got out of their vehicle, they and other DynCorp employees who arrived at the scene to help were attacked by the crowd, which burned their vehicles. They sure love them Americans. Ahmed Jaweed, who was also at the scene, asked, Are we not Muslims? Are we not from Afghanistan? 
Infidels are here and they are ruling us. Why? I wish I had a good answer. Antelope Freeway, this lane, exit. Yeah, I think I'll take the old antelope. Less traffic. Easy street over. Antelope Freeway, one mile. Clean up our media. Get a Antelope Freeway, one half mile. Chili Avenue, old Let's see what they got in this car. Let's see. We got Antelope Freeway, one eight Lights, wipers, defrost, temperature and climate control. Antelope Freeway, one thirty seconds. See what kind of climate I can get. Antelope Freeway, one six. Winter Wonderland. Antelope Freeway, Spring Fever. Indian Summer. Freeway, one Tropical Paradise. Tropical paradise. I think I'll give it a try. Wow. What a groove. A tropical paradise. Oh, poor Hamid Karzai. He's upset by the recent arrest of a key advisor accused of taking a bribe, and he's seeking to have more oversight over the work of a new anti-corruption task force. The move comes as a huge blow to U.S. efforts to fight corruption in Afghanistan, a stated top priority of General David Petraeus, said a senior U.S. official. Yeah, I bet it does. Mohammed Karzai just doesn't like to have all that corruption, which basically he eats for breakfast, being investigated by anybody but by himself and his brother when he's not too busy running hundreds of tons of opium all over the world. Mohammed Zia Salehi the head of administration for the Afghan National Security Council, was arrested last week and accused of accepting a car in exchange for his help in seeking the release of a suspect detained in another corruption case, said Fazel Ahmed Fakir, first deputy attorney general. So this is what's got, you know, Karzai's, uh, you know, panties in such a twist. He said the attorney general's office has wiretaps of Salehi discussing the vehicle. He tried to use his influence in different departments to free that guy any way possible, Fakir said. Karzai gathered his top law enforcement and justice officials at the presidential palace to hear from a delegation he asked to monitor the work of the major crimes task force. U.S. and British law enforcement officers serve as advisors to the task force, which was set up to battle graft and corruption that has become endemic in Afghan society. Basically, what he wants is he wants it to stop. And the way he's going to do it is all the cases which are being investigated and those cases that have been completed should be reviewed by the delegation and the outcome of its assessment should be reported to Karzai's office, the statement said. All the activities, arresting, investigation, questioning, and detention should be based on the principles and laws of the country and respect human rights. No, not, not human rights. Karzai's rights. He basically doesn't want to look at the rest of the world through bars. With his newfound prominence as the author of a law that ignited a national firestorm over immigration, Arizona State Senator Russell Pierce hopes to keep fanning the flames of the issue long after the courts uphold or strike down his SB 1070. That legislation focused attention on how far Arizona police can go in determining the immigration status of anyone they suspect of being in the country illegally. Oh, just shades of Nazi Germany. Now Pierce, a deputy sheriff before entering politics, has a new target, the children of illegal immigrants. 
Oh, Mr. Himmler, rock on. The way he sees it, he's simply protecting taxpayers from those who are abusing public benefits like schools and, and hospitals. Blame the parents, Pierce says in an interview with Politico. They're breaking the law and you can't reward them. Pierce said he plans to introduce a bill next year requiring that illegal immigrants pay for their kids to attend public schools. But that means you'd have to come into the school to pay for your kid being there because you're illegal. But of course, they can then stop you for being illegal and send you to jail and separate you from your kids. This doesn't make any sense. But of course, it isn't supposed to make any sense. It's supposed to punish the not me. And last month, he signaled he would author legislation to deny birth certificates to so-called anchor babies, the U.S.-born children of illegal immigrants. Of course, he's not alone. The, uh, this idea is already gaining traction among top Senate Republicans, like South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham said last week that uh, he may introduce a constitutional amendment to retool birthright citizenship. This is Lindsey Graham, the man that people are saying is the, is the middle-thinking, perhaps he's a rational Republican. No, no, he's a silver-haired racist. And Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, the man with no chin of Kentucky, along with Arizona's two senators, John Dangfence McCain and John Keel, said this week they'd like to see congressional hearings on the subject. Well, I'd like to see both John, both Johns, one HN and the other without an H, in the public stocks for even thinking that. By now... Opponents in Arizona know they can't underestimate Pierce's ability to mobilize anger over the immigration issue. Democrats have to understand if we don't start dealing with a solid reform package pretty soon out of this Congress, then we give the wingnuts like Russell Pierce the opportunity to not only introduce legislation, but mobilize people and keep this issue constantly on the front burner, said Representative Paul Grijavala, whose sprawling district sits on the U.S.-Mexican border. It's a political tactic he's used since 2000. And, he said, now it's got legs. Indeed, Pierce has been waging an unforgiving war against illegal immigrants, invaders, he calls them, for the better part of a decade. I wonder if he sees them as space invaders, maybe in one of his stupors, drug, alcohol, or just bad thinking induced. He, he kind of like made this collage of aliens and invaders. Hmm, maybe they are from outer space, sucking up all our, our precious resources and our precious bodily fluids. In 2004, he led the successful campaign for Proposition 200, a voter initiative barring illegal immigrants from receiving state and local public benefits. Two years later, voters approved another Pierce initiative denying bail for illegal immigrants who commit serious crimes. Let them rot in jail! And though it stalled in 2008, Pierce introduced a bill banning students at Arizona's public universities and colleges from forming groups based on race. Why don't we take a great big knife and just cut it all around Arizona and then put a big magnet on it and lift it up and send it somewhere else? You've heard how terrorists plan to have babies born in the United States, then sent abroad to be trained and coddled into terrorists, only to return 20 to 30 years later to destroy our way of life. Well, you don't have to wait 20 or 30 years to enjoy the over-the-border taste of Anchor Baby Beer. Our secret? It's a foreign yeast that's been brought over to America, coddled and fermented until it wakes up to the call of action. Hey, it won't destroy your way of life, only your taste for any other brew than 
Anchor Baby Beer. Anchor Baby, a product of Blackout Brewery's Oathkeeper Nevada, now legal in 38 states. to keep his mouth shut but if it's your head in the basket then you just pick the wrong side of the revolution our child king and his army wing they are hell-bent on the conquest our enemies on bended knees they're gonna see it always soon because the freedom that they steal from us they try to export overseas and now our former enemies are free to live a life of tyranny the same as you or me and it's a crime to speak your mind and it's a crime whoa, whoa, whoa. don't say a word if you heard that plate is gonna You ought to know this shithole called Guantanamo Where the people who we cannot trust Are safely kept away from us Well, we never have to worry if they're guilty or not Because we stick them in a cell and they are soon forgotten And they're out of sight and out of mind and out of luck But if it's your head in the basket Then you just pick the wrong side of the revolution To fight, forget about who's wrong or right. If you like your neck, you best as heck start rooting for the winner. This brave new world is knocking at your door, and you better let it in. The Constitution's evolution never made a contribution to the revolutionary man. It's a crime to speak your mind, and it's a crime. I like Fareed Zakaria. I think he's a good pundit. 
He writes here in Newsweek about the crusade that is underway, the crusade that we can only win through, well, through good thoughts and good actions. And I don't know how possible that is right now. Since 9-11, liberals and conservatives, he says, have agreed that the lasting solution to the problem of Islamic terror is to prevail in the battle of ideas and to discredit radical Islam, the ideology that motivates young men to kill and be killed. Victory in the war on terror will be won when a moderate, mainstream version of Islam, one that is compatible with modernity, fully triumphs over the worldview of Osama bin Laden. As the conservative Middle Eastern expert Daniel Pipes put it, the U.S. role in this struggle is less to offer its own views than to help those Muslims with compatible views, especially on such issues as relations with non-Muslims, modernization, and the rights of women and minorities. To that end, Early in its tenure, the Bush administration began a serious effort to seek out and support moderate Islam. Since then, Washington has funded mosques, schools, institutes, and community centers that are trying to modernize Islam around the world, except, apparently, in New York City. The debate over whether an Islamic center should be built a few blocks from the World Trade Center has ignored a fundamental point. If there is going to be a reformist movement in Islam, it is going to emerge from places like the proposed institute. We should be encouraging people like the one behind this project, not demonizing them. Were this mosque being built in a foreign city, chances are that the U.S. government would be funding it. The man spearheading the center, Imam Faisal Abdul Rauf, is a moderate Muslim clergyman. He has said one or two things about American foreign policy that strike me as overly critical, but it's stuff you could read on the Huffington Post any day. On Islam, his main subject, Rauf's views are clear. He routinely denounces all terrorism, as he did again last week, publicly. He speaks of the need for Muslims to live peacefully with all other religions. He emphasizes the commonalities among all faiths. He advocates equal rights for women and argues against laws that in any way punish non-Muslims. His last book, What's Right with Islam is What's Right with America, argues that the United States is actually the ideal Islamic society because it encourages diversity and promotes freedom for individuals and for all religions. His vision of Islam is bin Laden's nightmare. Rauf often makes his arguments using interpretations of the Quran and other texts. Now, I am not a religious person, and this method strikes me as convoluted and jesuitical. But for the vast majority of believing Muslims, only an argument that is compatible with their faith is going to sway them. The much larger issue that this center raises is, of course, freedom of religion in America. Much has been written about this, and I would only urge people to read Michael Bloomberg's speech on the subject last week. Bloomberg's eloquent, brave, and carefully reasoned address should become required reading in every civics classroom in America. It probably will. Bloomberg's speech stands in stark contrast to the bizarre decision of the Anti-Defamation League to publicly side with those urging that the center be moved. The ADL's mission statement says it seeks to put an end forever to unjust and unfair discrimination against and ridicule of any sect or body of citizens. But Abraham Foxman, the head of the ADL, explained that we must all respect the feelings of the 9-11 families, even if they are prejudiced feelings. He says their anguish entitles them to positions that others would characterize as irrational or bigoted, he said. First, the 9-11 families have mixed views on this mosque. There were, after all, dozens of Muslims killed at the World Trade Center. Do their feelings count? But more important, does Foxman believe that bigotry is okay if people think they're victims? Does the anguish of Palestinians then entitle them to be anti-Semitic? Zakaria not only talks the talk and he does a good job of it, he also walks that walk, that primrose path into the uncertain future. 
Five years ago, he says, the ADL honored me with its Hubert H. Humphrey First Amendment Freedoms Prize. I was thrilled to get the award from an organization that I have long admired. But I cannot, in good conscience, keep it anymore. I have returned both the handsome plaque and the $10,000 honorarium that came with it. I urge the ADL to reverse its decision. Admitting an error is a small price to pay for regaining a reputation. He's absolutely correct. I I have my issues with the ADL. I know the passions from which they spring. I, I, I get it. But in this case... They're totally off the ball. Okay, so this is what Zakaria writes in Newsweek. And here's a typical blog response from Chris. I wonder if that's short for Christian Crusader. The MSM, his acronym for mainstream media, that calls the Americans to recognize the constitutional freedom of religion in granting the Islamic Victory Center at Ground Zero is the same MSM that ignores the freedom of the press as they refuse to reprint the Danish Mohammed cartoons because they cower in fear from Islamic violence. If this cowardly news media is what we think is going to keep the spread of the next caliphate from Europe and North America, we are deluding ourselves. I've not yet decided to Mr. Zakaria is a sheep or a wolf in sheep's clothing. But either way, he is doing the advance work for the imams. I mean, I understand where this kind of paranoia comes from. Um, Radical Islam is very difficult to digest. The Taliban are despicable. I mean, if you want to create boogeyman, you don't have to go any further than those beanbags. But the fact is, is that if we want to keep America free, if we want to really make this place resonate, we have to remember that we have to go beyond that. We truly have to be a free nation. It's difficult. It takes work. And a lot of us, including myself, have gotten lazy on this issue. So let's uh, let's just uh, get off the couch and chip away um, at the problems that we face. Because of us, it's morning in America. Breakfast, honey? Thanks. Hey, is this real pork? Because of us, people in the Great Plains are just plain doing things. Little things like taking money from machines. Hey, hey, stop, kid. I'm not a machine. Because of us, they're roasting East Coast marshmallows on the West Coast. Wow, these taste like pork. We're the people of U.S. Plus. Guess what we do? Chemistry, transportation, pork. (laughs) Kind of. U.S. Plus. We own the idea of America. Wouldn't you know, Carl Rove to the rescue. The Republican National Committee is entering the fall election season with dire financial problems, says Politico, and to an unprecedented degree will be forced to rely on outside groups to fund activities traditionally paid for by the National Party. While embattled RNC chairman Michael Steele, he's the man you find sitting next to you at the Lesbian Bondage Club, and a top aide sought to use the party's summer meeting here to publicly put the best face on the cash shortage, senior Republicans expressed grave concern behind the scenes that their fundraising deficiency may be the difference between a good election year and a great one. With $11 million on hand at the end of June and about $2 million in reported debt, the RNC's paid get-out-the-vote effort will be limited to just targeted House races. And the committee is only going to be able to spend money on those relatively inexpensive House races thanks to a $10 million line of credit that was approved at the meeting here. Until then, said one incredulous Republican, there was no money available for paid GOTV activities like mailers and automated phone calls. Imagine what life would be like without GOP automated phone calls. Sounds like heaven to me. 
Even with a line of credit, though, the party can't afford to assist their many gubernatorial and Senate candidates with any dollars for paid voter contact and will have to effectively outsource that operation. The expectation, and it's only that because the party is barred from coordinating with third-party groups, is that the new organizations that have sprung up amid the RNC's woes will step in to pay for such GOTV efforts in statewide contests. Who? Well, senior Republicans are particularly hopeful that American Crossroads, founded in part by Karl Rove and Ed Gillespie, is planning to fill the void in turnout funding. Just imagine, the GOP has brought the devil back, brought him back with Ed Gillespie, his succubi, in order to pump money into this dreadful organization. You're not going to spend $200,000 on micro-targeting if all you're doing is TV ads, said one top GOP operative. They're not interested in this country. They're interested in micro-targeting. Sounds like drone talk to me. Why don't they just hire people to drone all the, all the Democrats who are going to vote? Yeah, yeah, you know, we're hanging around the polls with these drones. We're going to take out anybody that doesn't look... Wealthy and satisfied and cynical. Politico reported last month that the third-party group has hired veteran Republican strategist Carl Forty to run a micro-targeting effort and, according to a concept paper, would spend $15 million on targeted grassroots advocacy, i.e. paid voter contact. And because of the laws against coordination, spokesmen for both the RNC and American Crossroads were cagey in describing their efforts. Hey, Rove is cagey when you ask him if he's involuntarily breathing. American Crossroads. I think they should call it American Crosshairs. This is Sharzad Hackerthumb for the Stake a Heart Foundation. I'm proud that America is making it possible for gay people to come out of the closet all over this great country of ours. Now it's time to let another oppressed minority have their day in the sun. I'm talking about the millions of vampires across the land who are yearning to come out of the casket. Let Karl Rove uncap his fangs and be the uncompromising bloodsucker he was born to be 10,000 years ago. Release John Bomer from his daily ordeal at the tanning salon where he goes to mask his natural pasty white shade of the newly dead. Allow LeBron James to reveal the real source of his amazing athletic powers and arrogant personality. Free Sarah Palin to explain why she chose to leave a state with endless nights. It's time we put a human face on those countless Americans who look in the mirror every morning and see no one looking back. This is Sharzad Hackerthumb for the Stake of Heart Foundation. And you've got Oz in your ears. I am all for a two-party democracy. Hey, I'm all for a three- or four-party democracy. The problem is, is that we are heading rapidly towards a one-party democracy. Read as you will about all the marvelous prospects for the GOP in the fall. The fact is that they are deconstructing in front of our very eyes. One, because demographically the world is against them. And two, because they are such crazy, bleeding wingnuts. And the few among them, true conservatives, nothing wrong with a true conservative, who are at least polite and moderate in their approach to attacking other people, have been driven out of the party. Now, Mike Lapicia in the New York Post, which is a fundamentally right-wing newspaper, has written an op-ed piece about the casting out of Bob Ingalls, 
or Inglis, excuse me, uh, the Republican uh, uh, House member from South Carolina. And it's well worth reading in its entirety. Says Mike, there are landmarks all over our city, referring to New York City, after LaGuardia and Javits and Rockefeller, names out of the great city's great Republican past when the party was one of intelligence, not fear-mongering and hate, when its membership included even the great name put to the Jackie Robinson Parkway. The current Republican Party, one hijacked by hustlers and extremists, not only looks to destroy President Obama, it even starts to kill its own. Representative Bob Inglis, a voice of reason at a dumb, unreasonable time in American politics, is one of them. Inglis will be out of a job soon for not hating Barack Obama nearly enough. The irony, he says, is that he disagrees with Obama on almost everything. Inglis, a conservative Republican from a state so red you worry it might set itself on fire, used to go after Bill Clinton with everything he had, but these days he comes up an even better American than a Republican, speaking his own mind, refusing to join a chorus of idiots and call Obama his enemy or an enemy of the state, Inglis's state or anybody else's. He says, I figured out early in the race I was taking a risk by being unwilling to call the president a socialist, Inglis says. I'd get asked a question and they'd all want to see if I'd use the word socialist they were throwing around. I wouldn't because I don't think that's what he is. To call him a socialist is to demean the office and stir up a passion that we need to be calming rather than constantly stirring up. Listen to the guy. He doesn't sound like some sore loser. Instead, Bob Inglis sounds like the ignored conscience of an increasingly crackpot party. He makes quiet sense in a dumb, loud, dangerous time in American politics. He leaves Congress the first week of January, having just been clobbered in a primary runoff by a Tea Party guy named Terry Gowdy, who constantly attacked Inglis for not being conservative enough, even though Inglis has a 93% lifetime rating from the American Conservative Union. This isn't about Inglis being not conservative enough. It's about him not hating Obama enough. In the eyes of the self-appointed, self-anointed defenders of our virtue, that clearly means he doesn't love America enough. Quote from him, A colleague of mine from the House said to me recently, her father once told her leaders can either lead or mislead, Inglis said. What we are seeing these days is so much misleading. They say one outlandish thing after another about the president, and that gives license to others to say even worse things. When you have one of our so-called leaders saying that Obama is a socialist, then others feel empowered to dial up the rhetoric and call him a Marxist or a communist. Then you have something worse than words. You have the dehumanizing and demonizing of the president of the United States. And when that happens across history, scary things can happen. Inglis is smart enough to know it wasn't just his refusal to call the president names that turned him into one of the more unemployed Americans. He voted for TARP and against the surge in Iraq and even called out Glenn Beck, a rough, tough media guy who thinks ad hominem attacks are great until he's the hominem. I was at a breakfast and somebody said the president wasn't patriotic, Inglis said. I knew I was supposed to go along and said I got up and said, that's simply not true. I disagree with the president most of the time, but he loves this country. Afterward, a big Republican operative in our state grabbed me and said, don't give him that. I said, give him what? And the guy said that he's patriotic. Why do I have to see Democrats as my enemies? I've got Al-Qaeda. I've got the Taliban. I've got enough enemies. I'm supposed to call this president despicable? The people who are despicable are the ones who constantly mislead the public in the interest of selling books. 
or themselves, and always cloaking themselves in patriotism. Shame on them. And he laughed softly. But then, what do I know? I lost. His district lost. His state lost. His party did. He did not. Every time Obama comes on the TV, which I watch Fox News all during the day, I switch a channel to the Hallmark Channel to figure he's gone, then I switch it back. The House of Representatives will soon be called back into session to take up a $26 billion bill designed in part to help avoid teacher layoffs, says House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Yes, they're going to come back to help uh, keep our schools from being empty. Kids go back, it's back from school, we've got all our nice clothes and our knapsacks and our hand-me-downs. The only thing that's missing is the teacher. As millions of children prepare to go back to school, many in just a few days, the House will act quickly to approve this legislation once the Senate votes, said Pelosi. By the way, she called the members back by Twitter. She tweeted them. Can you imagine what John Bomer felt like if he's even got one of those personal digital assistants? Uh, there's one called the Droid. That's perfect for him, particularly if it has a breathalyzer on it. I am calling members of the House back to Washington at the beginning of the week to pass this bill and send it to the President Obama without further delay, said Pelosi. The House had begun its summer break and was not expected to return until mid-September. Surprise! We need you back to do something useful. House Democratic leaders began discussing the unusual move after the Senate unexplicably advanced the state assistance bill on its agenda. Right. They got around the—they somehow got around the NOP. I don't know how. The House needs to approve the measure before it can go to President Barack Obama to be signed into law. House Republican leaders characterized the House plan as the latest step in an agenda rejected by the public. You know, that's really interesting. You know, they say the public doesn't like this, they don't like that, and then they go poll the public, and the public does like it. But again, who's to keep the GOP from lying? It's not against the law unless you're under oath. Uh, the American people don't want more stimulus spending, says the Republicans, particularly spending for labor unions attached to a job-killing tax increase, said Michael Steele, a spokesman for House Minority Leader John Bomer. Wait a minute. What's this job-killing tax increase? Democrats would be better off listening to their constituents who are asking, where are the jobs? Rather than returning to Washington, D.C. to vote for more tax hikes and special interest bailouts. This is the most confused thinking. It's very hard to keep up with these people. One, I think that they're vastly uneducated. They have not paid their sin tax. They can't put a good sentence together. But wait a minute. They're being called back. So indeed, they can bail out the schools. It is state assistance. So there is indeed a cost involved. But it is a job increasing. Where are the jobs? Here are the jobs. These bunnies. I mean, I just don't know. We, we, we need somebody to go, some sort of like legitimate, reasonable, grim reaper to just go through and cut off all of the bad heads in the party. Of course, that's, that's just an image. Hello, dear friends. This is Reverend Bill Barnes-Dormer of the First Blameless Church of Science. Fiction. And let's say thank you for that. Today, dear friends, let us also say thank you to the naysayers among us. To those who put a stop to progress and change. You know, change is a dangerous slogan. 
in this troubled world, change means to give up your righteousness. Change threatens the family. Change isn't in the Constitution. It's in the Declaration of Independence, and we went through all of that long ago. So to say no to everything is to make no mistakes, and let's say thank you for that. No closes that open door to your inner office. Say thank you. No inspires your co-working man or woman to say no to, out of respect and risk to continued employment. Thank you. No lets you off the hook. As the good booklet says, park and lock it, not responsible. No good turn goes unpunished, so no frees you from having to learn anything you don't need or don't want to think about. So be a naysayer, if you got the strength. Remember, dear friends, ideas may appear useful, but they could be wrong. You don't want to go there. This is Bill Barnstormer. Please send for my new Naysayers Workout DVD. It lets you do that bike thing while you learn the story of Ulysses and St. Anthony, who said no to the voluptuous demons of temptation and new ideas. And it tells the story of our confusing America today and, and lets you exercise your no to the elite minorities who lack the righteousness to say no. And instead they cry out, good idea, let's try it. <sighs> $29.99 to Naysayers, Box No, That's Mine, Arizona, 24680. Come to the end of another perfect show. They're all perfect shows. What's imperfect about having a good time, man? I mean, <laughs> it, it never goes wrong. But nothing is more perfect than going out with a little tang. That's right. This is Tufu, and I'm sure he was tired of living in a time of war. I'm, Aren't we all? I'm sick of it. Yeah. And this is from 500 Words about my journey from the capital to Feng Sein, written just before the Great Rebellion of 755 broke out. Not Feng Sein. Mm. Year's end. The grasses withered, a great wind scouring the high ridges, in bitter cold at midnight, I set out along the imperial highway. Sharp frost, my belt snaps, my fingers are too stiff to tie it. Around dawn, I pass the emperor's favorite winter palace in the Lee Hills by the hot springs. Lots of army banners against the sky, the ground tramped smooth by troops. Thick steam rises from the hot green springs. Imperial guards rub elbows. Cabinet ministers live it up. The music drifts through the wintry landscape. The hot baths here are just for important people, nothing for common folks. The silk the courtiers wear was woven by poor women. Soldiers beat their husbands, demanding tribute. Of course our emperor is generous. He only wants the best for us. I suppose we have to blame his ministers when government is bad. Plenty of good people at the court must be worried, especially when they see the palace gold plate carted off by royal relations. 
Women, like goddesses, are dancing inside, all silk and perfume, guests in sable furs, music of pipes and fiddles, camel-pad broth being served with frosted oranges and pungent tangerines. Behind those red gates, meat and wine are left to spoil. Outside lie the bones of people who starved and froze. Luxury and misery a few feet apart. My heart aches to think about it. Yeah, mine too, Dave. Well, I'm glad I got the Oz team, though. That does make me feel good. It's Peter Bergman, me, your host, Dave Osman. Me, co-host. Bill McIntyre, our producer, Dave Maloney, our audio engineer. Chaz Glass, our financial whiz, Tom Goodwillow, our webmaster, John Cumming, our ones and zeros consultant, Scott Wilde, keeps it cool in the world of social media. And Phil Fountain, ah, knocks out them beautiful designs. See you all tomorrow, huh? Keep it cool.